From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, a happy Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can uh, always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host to see us every Monday, the aforementioned Father John Tregilio. How are you? I'm doing well on this Mother Cabrini day. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What a force of nature, huh? <laughs> um, so uh, normally we, we just jump right into emails in the first segment, but Juan from Columbus, Ohio, was mm. gracious enough to hold from the oh, last wow. program... So I want to not make Juan hold any longer. He's listening no. on St. Gabriel Radio. Juan, you're on with Father Trujillo. Thank you very much. Thank you, Father John, and thank you, Jeff, for picking up my call. Uh, my question is this. Uh, we know that the uh, people after dying, they don't hope. Many of them, I assume, they don't go straight to heaven. They go to, the pur- to purgatory. Now... Uh, we have a way of helping them with the Masses. If we ask uh, your priests to celebrate the Masses for, the, uh, for our people, they, uh, they will go faster, hopefully, to heaven. Now, uh, the value of the Mass is infinite. If that's the case, can we apply that Mass for all the people that are in the purgatory, and how much would they would that help? Uh, definitely, we would like as as many as possible, as fast as possible, to get out of that purgatory. Uh, that's my question, Father. Can we put a mass, and how much that mass will help, considering that the mass has infinite value? Okay. Well, that, that's an excellent question, and. By the way, I'm going to be out, heading out to Columbus next week for uh, Thanksgiving, with the, staying at the Josephina with Father Brigenti. Um, it's true, the Mass has infinite value, um, but uh, I, as the priest, um, I can certainly offer a Mass for all the holy souls in purgatory, um, but since we are not sure to the extent that God himself applies those fruits of the Mass, uh, it's always good to have more than one Mass celebrated. Now, I can pray, some, if someone says, uh, Father, here's uh, the, the customary offering is $10 in most dioceses. 
could you offer Mass for all the holy souls in purgatory? I could do that. Um, it doesn't necessarily let them all free, <laughs> but everybody in purgatory is guaranteed to get to heaven. It's just when they could, uh, go through the pretty gates, we're, we're not sure, but it's a guarantee that everyone in purgatory is going to go to heaven. That's why I, as a pastor for 16 years, would encourage my parishioners, please have more than one Mass offered for your loved ones, uh, especially the, the deceased ones, because um, we don't know uh, to what extent they they need those prayers, but uh, it's never a, a waste of time for the priest or a waste of uh, the fruits of the Mass. And, um, you know, in Italian parishes, you know, as I mentioned, today's Feast of Mother Cabrini, uh, there's a wonderful custom of having a, a mass offered uh, on the anniversary of someone's death, on their uh, earthly birthday, their anniversary of their um, uh, wedding anniversary or anniversary of their ordination if they're a deceased priest or, or deacon. Um, also, uh, there's this beautiful practice we call month's mind where uh, a month after the person passes away, uh, they have a mass offered. Uh, some places, uh, the priest can offer a Gregorian mass, which is, 30 days consecutively of offering masses for uh, a loved one. So, yeah, I would say, you know, since you don't know and it, and it's not going to be wasted in any way, have masses offered frequently. Um, my family would often get at least 10 masses every year uh, for our deceased relatives and pick, try to pick those days if they're open on the calendar in your parish. And that's just a, a, a suggestion, but definitely... Uh, I know what you're coming from. It's like, well, wouldn't one Mass be enough? And, you know, that could be if God applied him in that way, but he certainly wants us uh, to offer up uh, these Masses uh, for our, our loved ones because, uh, again, uh, it, it's the greatest help you can do for someone in purgatory is to pray for them, and the highest prayer is the Holy Mass. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Got an email from Joan, Father, and she says, After communion, but before the final prayer and blessing, announcements are made at Mass. Then, often enough, groups or individuals are recognized by the priest, and just about everyone applauds. At a very recent Mass, I counted eight acknowledgments and eight rounds of applause, plus one more clapping of hands when the musicians concluded the final hymn. What is being taught in the seminary classes on liturgy regarding acknowledgments and clapping at Mass? Well, we're teaching them here at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and that's not the way to do it. Uh, announcements should be made. The best place is after uh, the final prayer, before the final blessing, uh, or as is the custom in in, uh, in Great Britain, they would do the announcements uh, after um the gospel um, before the homily or immediately after the homily where they make it clear that these are announcements uh, the clapping Pope Benedict made it clear when he was Cardinal Ratzinger and then later as the Supreme Roman Pontiff uh, Mass is not the place for uh, uh, applause uh, it doesn't mean that we don't want people to have applause but it should be done before or after the Mass officially ends uh, the purpose of Mass is to worship God and we certainly want to acknowledge people I know there's a beautiful tendency that, uh, you know, when a new bishop arrives or a new pastor arrives or anything like that, that a uh, priest has his first mass or whatever, uh, people want to be acknowledged. But uh, I also know it's better, if you're going to do that, to say, we'll hold the applause until uh, we get over to the social hall. Uh, that's the best place to acknowledge people. I know some people say, well, 
the choir won't be there. You can acknowledge the choir at the end of Mass, be, after the final prayer, before the final blessing, but please say, please withhold your applause. And if people do that enough, priests do that enough, then no one's going to be bummed out. But the problem is they go from one parish to another, and one priest, he has them you know, clapping hands all over the place, and it's almost like the sign of peace. Uh, it should be done to the person on your left and your right, uh, if it's offered, because it is optional. But this idea of going up and down the pews and high-fiving everybody or, you know, they, now they do the, the fist punch and that. Uh, is that a sign of peace? <laughs> I don't think so. But, uh, yes, I, I would say uh, we're, here at our seminary, and I know at other places like the Josephina, we're, we're teaching them this is the proper uh, place for these kind of things. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Paul wants to know, he says, Pope Francis said that the mind of God willed a multitude of religions. Is this true? Well, I don't have the exact quote before me, so <laughs> I know sometimes the things that are translated into English, because he speaks uh, typically in Italian, because remember his family came from Italy, and uh, although he was born in Argentina, um, we have make a distinction in philosophy between the ordained will of God and the permissive will of God. And God permits things to happen. He permits us to act according to our our nature, which is we have a free will. So in one sense, he tolerates, he allows things to happen, even things that are bad or evil or things which are imperfect, because without his um, divine providence, these things can't happen. But in terms of his ordained will, like he ordained that, and I don't mean by ordination, like with hands over the head, like the bishop does at ordination, but... He specifically wanted, like the Virgin Mary, to have the gift of the Immaculate Conception. He specifically wanted uh, the Twelve Apostles chosen. Uh, but he allows and tolerates things. That's his permissive will. Adam and Eve um, sinned in the Garden of Eden. He allowed that to happen. Uh, his preference would have been that they would have not sinned. But uh, his permissive will is distinct from his ordained will. So he permits these other religions, but it's not part of his ordained will. His ordained will is that there w would be one faith, you know, one baptism, uh, you know, one people of faith. The problem is that over the centuries that hasn't happened because of our sinfulness. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Michelle, hang in there. You're up next. We'll also talk to Eric and Andy, and we've got time for your calls as well. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, EWTN offers the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel live every single morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. We want to help you draw closer to our Eucharistic King. Our free Mass Guide booklet, which includes both English and Latin text, will help you to follow along with the Mass on EWTN and unite with Catholics worldwide for a free Mass booklet or ebook. Visit EWTN.com Catholicism and then click on Readings. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Michelle is a first-time listener. She had originally called to call to communion last hour, and she was gracious enough to call us back. She's in Wallingford, Pennsylvania, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Michelle, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Uh, hello, thank you. Um, my question is, well, my... Um, so I have a daughter who is gay, and she recently uh, called me and told me that they were engaged. And um, my reaction was that that I just I just don't agree. And she, so she hung up on me, and you know, I texted her, let her know that you know I mean I know she's a good person. She's a you know she's a nurse. She's a nice person. I just can't agree with that. And then so she sent me a kind of like an ultimatum letter and um, where I, you know, just because I'm Catholic and, you know, so um, I don't know. What do you, what do you advise? (laughs) Yes. I don't know. Yes. uh, Well, certainly I'll keep both of you in my prayers and uh, uh, there's no one particular way. uh, Certainly, we're not allowed to condone, encourage, um, you know, anything that goes against uh, church teaching or against um, natural morality. Um, at the same token, I know uh, when you're dealing with a son or a daughter, um, you know, the difficulty is you don't want to close the door completely to communications. So as long as you convey, as you did, that you're not, you know, you don't approve of this, um, you know, we certainly want you to keep contact w- with her. You certainly want to keep reminding her that you love her. You love her because of who she is, not because of what she does. And uh, making that distinction that, you know, she's your daughter. She will always be your daughter. You will always love her. That doesn't mean loving someone that you approve of everything that they do. Um, so certainly you would want to, you know, keep that uh, communication open. If, um, you know, if she invites you to whatever, if they are going to do some kind of ceremony in that, um, if you say I can't go because it, it violates, uh, you know, the, print, the tenets of my faith and um, the natural law, that that's certainly uh, a decision that you can make, and people support you. Uh, if you decide you have to go because, you know, you don't want to shut that door completely, but you have to make it clear you're going only because that's your daughter, and uh, I would say you know don't don't give any indication that that you approve. So. Uh, I say to parents who who feel they must go to some of these things, well, don't bring a gift, don't go to the party, um, don't you know, smile and, and act as if everything's okay. But uh, if your presence is there, make it clear it's sort of under duress. Um, you want to convey that, not to be mean or nasty, but to let people know you're not happy about this because this is not something you agree with. But if people show up and they're all dressed up and they go to the party or like I had relatives who had a... Um, a bridal shower for their uh, relative who who said she was lesbian, or uh, they had um, uh, some other. Um, I think it had a baby shower when they had some kind of uh, way of, of uh, when they had a child. All these things we have to say. No, I I cannot pretend this is okay when it's not. But the same token, you want to be like Jesus with the woman, um, you know, caught in adultery. You know, I've come not to condemn you, but to pray for you and. Certainly keep on praying for your daughter. Um, express again and again and again how much you love her. 
But you loving her does not mean you approve everything she does because if she were to choose something else that was, I mean, you're, you're looking at it from the way the church and God looks at it, her whole personhood. That is not just, you know, politics. It's not just, um, you know, um, social mores or cultural values. But it's the whole person who's made the image and likeness of God and a child of God. And, you know, we're all under the same Ten Commandments. It would be the same as if your daughter was going to marry uh, a man, but outside the church. All right? We don't condone that. We don't condone invalid marriages. And I know parents who won't go to the wedding, and that's certainly you know, their, their choice to make, and it's a, a good one. Or if they go, they have to express some way that's recognizable that they're not happy about this. And they're there only because that's their son or daughter. But always saying to their son or daughter, I, you know, I want you to reconsider this. Um, that's love. Love is not lying to the one you love, but it also means you know, being patient and praying for them. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number one open line for you at 833-288-3986. Eric is a first-time caller in Springfield, Missouri, listening on Catholic Radio Network. Eric, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Father John, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Last, last uh, Friday I was uh, working my my route, and I, I caught a little bit of somebody asking a question about something I didn't understand, and I was hoping you could help me understand. There was some comment about a change in who's allowed to be godparents, and it was something like uh, transsexual people and people who are in committed gay relationships, but I just, I, I want clarification if you could, and then yes. I need to ask you a question. Okay. Well, the Vatican did issue some statement um, last week, I believe it was on Friday, um, in terms of being a witness to marriage, anyone could be a witness. They don't even have to be Catholic um, because they're standing in as a as a physical witness. So if, if it's not the maid of honor and the best man, uh, they don't have to be Catholic, they could be Protestant, they could be Muslim, they could be Hindu, agnostic, atheist, you know, the, the point is, they're witnessing the couple giving uh, consent. For godparents, they, especially a Catholic godparent has to be in good standing with the church, um, is in full communion with the church. That's why when a Catholic wants to be a godparent for baptism or sponsor for confirmation, they need to go to their parish priest and get a certificate that says, yes, I know this person. They go to church. They're in full communion. And to be in full communion means you espouse and accept all that the church teaches. If somebody is living as a transgendered person and, uh, you know, you got a guy wearing a dress uh, and, you know, he says, I don't care what the church teaches, then, you know, m my judgment is that, you know, that makes them ineligible. If somebody's struggling with um, gender dysphoria, however, and they're working on it and they're getting treated and they're, you know, trying their best to, you know, um, do the best that they can, that's a different uh, situation. I think that's what the Vatican was trying to say, but unfortunately... You know, uh, when they're making these statements, uh, they don't re realize all the time how it plays in Peoria, as we used to say. Uh, how does American audience, especially the media, going to accept it? So right away, our secular media, I, I watched it on, on the, online uh, from the BBC to all the other secular ones here in the United States. We're saying, ah, the Vatican's weakening, it's caving in. Uh, we're not endorsing transgenderism because we see that as um, something that's not 
you know, part of the natural process. And if somebody has gender dysphoria, we want them to be healed. We want them to be cured. Um, but somebody who says, no, this, this is okay, how are you going to list them in, in the book, you know, the baptismal book? We have a space for godmother. We have a space for godfather. Uh, the Catholic must be in good standing. And the Christian, who wants to be a Christian witness, a Protestant, all right, they have to be um, firm in their faith as well. They can't have someone who's not, you know, going to church and who, you know, is, is just barely minimally Christian as a Christian witness. So what they were saying was basically in those certain instances where someone is not making a public statement that, hey, I think this is okay and you, you know, take it or leave it. No, uh, that's not what was the, the decision was that in certain instances, they could be a, uh, a sponsor, but they have to prove to the priest who's going to sign the, the certificate that they are in full communion, liturgically, doctrinally, and uh, in terms of their moral behavior. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Andy is in northern Kentucky listening on Sacred Heart Radio today. Andy, you're on with Dr. Uh, Dr. How am I doing? With Father John Tregilio. Well, Father, thank you for taking my call. I have one question. At yesterday's Mass, uh, in the epistle, it said that the end of time about the, the dead will rise, but there was also... It also said the, the ones that are still alive will be ascended up into the sky. Uh, wouldn't I mean? Wouldn't they die first? Otherwise, it's, isn't that kind of what the, the Protestants talk about the rapture? Yes. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, the the rapture that actually you know you don't if you were to ask Martin Luther himself, you know, who started the Reformation in 1517, what rapture is, he wouldn't know what you're talking about. Uh, John Huss, uh, Zwingli, uh, all the Protestant reformers it was a totally alien concept. It came about in the uh, you know 1900s, uh, late 1800s. This concept of what they call the rapture. The Church does not uh, endorse this idea that some people will be taken up uh, mysteriously uh, up to heaven. The ones who are left behind are, are condemned. But this, you do mention a good fact that whenever the world comes to an end. Uh, we call this the parousia, uh, the eschaton, the end times. Um, yes, you're going to have to physically die before you can go to heaven. It's just that when the world ends, all those who are already dead will either be in hell or in purgatory or in heaven. And those who are alive when the last day comes, uh, they're going to have particular judgment. Uh, so because we mentioned we, before, the four last things personally, individually, is I die, I have immediate uh, particular judgment, either go to heaven or go to hell or to purgatory. Then there's the end times, uh, the, the eschaton from the general uh, perspective, universal. You've got uh, the second coming of Christ. You have the end of the world, the resurrection of the dead, and general judgment. Uh, those are all things that, you know, is very beautifully explained in the catechism. Also, um, you know, I mentioned in our book, Catholicism for Dummies, uh, Father John Hardin explains this extremely well on his, uh, his version of, of the Catechism, which came out before the 1992 uh, Universal Catechism. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It is a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Mark in South Carolina, Judy in the great state of New Jersey, and we've got a couple of open phone lines for you. 
at 833-288-3986. That's 833-288-EWTN. And if you're outside the United States and Canada, you can give us a call. That number is one 205 271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I've got three phone lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Mark in Charleston, South Carolina, listening on Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Mark, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. My question is, um, I I believe we're called to pray for the souls in purgatory and I'm wondering, are we supposed to pray for them specifically by name? And the reason I kind of ask is, we, don't, we obviously don't know if someone's in purgatory, if they've moved on to heaven, or if they were possibly condemned to hell. And I know prayer is not a waste of time, but if I'm praying for someone that you know, has been poss- you know, poss- possibly been condemned to hell, um, I'm just looking for some guidance on how I should pray for souls in purgatory. Uh, that, that's a great question, uh, Mark, and I'm glad you called. If someone's in heaven, it's not a waste because God's going to redirect, you know, that assistance to someone else um, because, you know, prayer is never a waste. And we call this the treasury of merit. And, the you know, we don't want to make it sound like a monetary thing, but it's that you've got the infinite merit of Christ, what he did on the cross. You have the superabundant merit of Mary and uh, also the merit of the saints. And then whatever you and I you know, do whatever prayers we offer, whatever masses we have celebrated. So even though the person in heaven doesn't need any more help, God will redirect that to someone who does need it. And if God forbid someone's in hell, uh, it will again be redirected to somebody because in hell, you you can't no help can be given to them. They they've really they've turned their back on God and His divine grace. The people in heaven don't need it because they're already in His uh, real presence or His. Uh, they have the beatific vision. It's the souls in purgatory who uh, need this help and can benefit from it. So yes, you could pray generically for the souls in purgatory or specifically to a family member, not knowing with moral or metaphysical certitude when they you know, will be in heaven. Uh, uh, know that God will redirect it if it needs to be redirected. But uh, certainly I would want people to pray specifically for their loved ones, have masses said for them, but also generically for all the souls in purgatory, because there's some people that no one prays for them uh, because they don't have any living uh, relatives or friends. Um, one of the things I always say to seminarians is, you know, uh, we have a booklet called the Ordo that lists, you know, the, the different masses for the week. On the back page are all the priests who died on that particular calendar day. I said, take a look at them and pray for them because, you know, we don't have a, a wife or children or grandchildren some of us, like, I don't have any nieces or nephews. Uh, it'd be nice to know that somebody's going to pray for me uh, from time to time, and that's why I want the, the future priest to, to think about that, too. That's why they've given you so many students down through the years. <laughs> I need every prayer. I need all 164 of them. 
<laughs> Thank you, Mark. We appreciate that phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Judy's up next. She's in Wayne, New Jersey, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Judy, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Uh, thank you so much, Father John. I have been listening to EWTN and your show probably more than 25 years. Um, and I am very upset about um, something that my pastor wrote in his bulletin this weekend um, regarding uh, the, the one of the readings, Wisdom 6, 12 to 16, and he was almost telling us um, to even to basically think of God as a woman. And um, the, I, I can't fathom this, where all our New Testament readings are God the Father, I've been watching The Chosen, and everything is Jesus going to the Father and doing what the Father is asking of Him, and I I can't understand where this came from, and I didn't even get that from that reading. I was just wondering what you thought about that. Yeah, it's it's it, the bottom line is ludicrous, it's bizarre, and it shouldn't be done. I know people have stretched this because uh, in um, in in Greek, all right. Uh, Sophia in Latin sapientia, it has a, a feminine ending because of the of the word, but just because a word has a feminine ending, we don't have this in English, all right? We don't we, we don't have gender uh, to on nouns, in other languages like Latin and Greek and other ones, uh, Italian for instance, you know you have feminine endings, you have masculine endings, you have neuter endings, but it has nothing to do with the object itself, okay? Uh, it's just because of the word. Uh, that being said, I know some people, have, I mean, when I was in the seminary uh, 40 years ago, they were trying to tell us, well, you know, the Book of Wisdom, uh, Sophia, um, Sapientia, is the, you know, the feminine side of God. Well, it's divinely revealed that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spouse of the Virgin Mary. But also, be, in God in and of himself, uh, his pure spirit, God doesn't have um, gender, but Jesus certainly, you know, is God and man. But what's revealed is this special relationship of Father and Son, Son and Father, and the Holy Spirit. So we have to go by what God has revealed. And so referring to God as him is what he wants. And, you know, his masculinity, all right, is certainly not the same as as, uh, as ours, because you and our, you uh, as human beings, you're the male or female. In God, he's pure spirit, and yet Jesus, because of the incarnation, he's definitely a man and God at the same time. Uh, that being said, I would not have people pray to Mother God, or as I sometimes had or, uh, at a few convents where the sisters were shouting out, you know, things like that. Uh, no, um, there is no goddess. Um, and this relationship of creation as being, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we talk about... Um, Mother Earth, there's nothing problem with that. Holy Mother Church, uh, that's an image. Uh, the church doesn't have, you know, uh, gender or masculinity, but it's nice, the relationship of Mother Church, God the Father, you and I are children of God. Uh, this is divine revelation. It's not just anthropomorphism or a patriarchal society imposing itself. Thanks so much, Judy. We appreciate the call today. Wide open phone lines for you now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 
888-528-3986 with any question you have about the Catholic faith. And also today, you will be performing a corporal work of mercy because my voice is on its last leg, and the less I have to read, <laughs> the better off I'll oh. be. So, as, a, as an act of, of <laughs> generosity to me, please give us a call at 833-288-3986. We'll Dan writes in baptism. Yeah, does Dan uh, Dan writes in rather? Does baptism of desire give the same graces as baptism and remove the stain of original sin? Mm, very good. Okay, uh, the baptism of desire is sufficient for salvation uh, if there's no other possible access to sacramental baptism of water uh, and the Trinitarian formula. You need the the uh, physical. Uh, baptism of water in order to receive the other sacraments. Uh, So you can't receive Holy Communion, you can't receive confession, receive anointing of the sick, or any of the sacraments unless you have baptism, and that's the sacrament of baptism through water. But baptism of desire, like the baptism of blood, is sufficient uh, in those cases where a person cannot. There's just, you know, prevented from uh, being baptized with water. So it's sufficient. It's like if someone's uh, Catholic's unable to get to a priest in time, and they're about to die, they can make a perfect act of contrition, and that would suffice, but that only kicks in when it's impossible to get to a priest in time. Uh, It's better that they receive the sacrament of of confession, because then they have moral certitude, and also they have the possibility of the apostolic pardon. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288, excuse me, 3986. Megan is in the great state of Michigan listening on Ave Maria Radio. Megan, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Thank you for taking my call. I love listening to the program. My question is about the minor dis- uh, discrepancy between the Catholic version of the Ten Commandments compared to how the Protestants uh, number the commandments and the difference between those two. Okay, that I'm glad you asked that, because that's something I'm covering okay. <laughs> with our seminarians, oh, okay. uh, which is okay. good, because there is a difference, and it's Catholic and, by the way, Lutherans, who are on the same page as, as we are, um, it's the uh, Swiss Reformed, all right, so the, the Calvinist, the Presbyterian, the Methodist, and so forth, they have a different numbering system than the Catholic hyphen Lutheran system. And this is because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, when Moses uh, gives the Ten Commandments, they're not numbered. They're not numbered one through ten, but the Ten Commandments are there. So the same Ten Commandments are in the Protestant numbering system, uh, are in the same as the Catholic uh, Lutheran. It's where you distinguish where one begins and another starts, okay, or ends. So for instance, in the Catholic Lutheran tradition, the first commandment, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have strange gods before me. The second one is um, honor the, the, the name of the Lord thy God. And then the third, honor the God, Lord's holy day. In the Swiss Reformed, or mainline Protestant tradition, they add one about not having idols, okay? That's considered part of the first commandment in the Catholic and Anglican, or Catholic and Lutheran tradition. Because the numbers were not put in until later, that we, and even today, when you look at the Bible, you got chapter and verse, but you don't have little Roman numerals like we typically do. Now, if you're going to add a commandment or isolate one as they do, 
it balances out because at the end, in the Catholic uh, Lutheran tradition, we separately have, uh, you know, shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. In the Protestant tradition, they couple them together. So you still end up with 10. So it's a matter of where you put the period, okay? Where do you put the Roman numeral? So they're basically the same. We just see idolatry as not a separate commandment, as just a continuation of the first. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Mo is watching on YouTube, and he said, Father, so glad I came across you live on YouTube. My sister passed away in 2021 from blood clot after COVID. She was home and told us that something was wrong. We called a priest, but no priest returned our call or came to give her last rites. I've been angry with priests ever since. Does it count that she asked four times for the last rites? I'm praying it does and that she is with God. Yes, certainly, uh, you know, when it's not their fault, um, you know, God takes care of them. We, we, we entrust them to the mercy of God. And I tell you this to the seminarians many, many, many times. Gentlemen, when you get a call, you go. You drop everything. Um, I said, now, sometimes when you get a phone call, it may be hospice. It may be the, the um, nursing home, might be the hospital, might be family members and the persons at home. And they say, well, Father, you know, uh, it could be any day or it could be a while. I tell the guys, don't take that chance. You go right away. And yet, when I've had that happen many times, I dropped everything. I ran as, as quickly as I could. But then you get stuck in traffic. Uh, there's a train. Uh, your car breaks down. You get a flat tire. You may not get there in time. That person is not going to be punished because you couldn't get there or because you got um, a priest who's been irresponsible and uh, you know is negligent in his duties. So you don't have to worry about your relatives. Uh, I trust in God. But at the same token, you know, we tell the priests, we tell the seminarians, you know, this is why we are ordained. And uh, the, and so if you can't get there, you got to explain to the people so then they can, you know, try to find another priest. But basically, it's our responsibility. When I was teaching at the seminary three days a week and then uh, in my parish four days, I had a priest nearby, crossed the river, uh, worked at the tribunal. He said, John, if you ever need someone to be anointed, it's an hour drive. I don't think you can get here in time. I will do it for you. That's priesthood. That's helping each other out. Or when a priest uh, down the uh, next parish over was unavailable. I didn't ask where he was. He could have been on vacation. He could have been on another sick call. Uh, any number of things. I would go and say, well, even though they're not technically living in my parish, that's what priests do. So I'm sorry. I'm very sorry that a priest did that. Um, I, I don't know. I give him benefit of doubt. I don't know. Maybe he did get caught up with something. Maybe he didn't get the message. But still, I tell the seminarians, you get there absolutely important you get there 833-288-EWTN next up is pat in eastern pennsylvania listening on the amazon echo pat thanks for holding you're on with father john hi father john this is pat i wanted to know my daughter died a couple of years ago 2021 uh, uh she had uh she had bumped her head when taking the dogs for a ride, and her death was because of uh, fentanyl. Fentanyl had uh, uh, complicated the idea. Anyway, I thought she had called me before that 
and asked me about getting back to church and getting back to Mass. And uh, I've been thinking since she died on Easter Sunday, God was giving me uh, a blessing and saying, you know, that desire that she had mm-hmm. was uh, a sign that she didn't go to hell. Yes. And uh, I'm just asking, am I uh, overemphasizing or can I no. really depend on that desire? Yes, absolutely. Because it, it, it's through no fault of hers if, if she intended, she wanted to, uh, you know, reconcile herself to go to confession, uh, to have the sacraments to be anointed, and it's, it wasn't her fault that it didn't come to fruition. She had that sincere desire. We certainly believe that God is not going to again punish someone because the priest wasn't physically able to be there, whether it was his fault or not, or the person just didn't get a chance. I mean, I've, I've had that happen many times where, you know, someone, uh, an elderly man, went to surgery. They said it was going to be very easy. They replaced his knee. He did a phenomenal uh, response, you know, issues. The very next day, got a blood clot and died. Um, we didn't, no one told us about this, so there was no way we could have got there in time. But he had the disposition. That's the main thing is only God knows what's in the person's heart and soul and mind. Uh, but I would say that, you know, your daughter probably, um, you know, was well disposed but certainly having masses said for her, praying for her is not a bad thing because, um, you know, I, I believe she's more than likely in purgatory or in heaven by now. Um, so having those prayers for her is certainly going to be helpful. And I think because she wanted to, as she expressed it to you, that's a good sign, okay? People don't say that unless they mean it, all right? Nobody just, you know, says, oh, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to clean up my act. I want to go back to church and just to uh, fool someone or placate them. When people are going through that difficulty, all right, this is her heart speaking to your heart. So I think you could be confident that, you know, that the good Lord would take that in his divine mercy. But the same token, pray for her soul and have masses said for her. We're heading out of New Orleans, Louisiana. Vanessa is listening on Catholic Community Radio. Vanessa, you're on with Father John Fragilio. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. I would like to know if there is a difference in efficacy of praying the rosary on blessed beads versus non-blessed beads. Okay. Um, well, certainly uh, the rosary is the rosary. Uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've misplaced my rosary because I'm at that age now where these things happen. I usually have a, a, um, a pair in my pocket or something, but it happens. God gave us a natural rosary, your ten fingers, so I've done that a few times. But the advantage of having a rosary that's blessed is the rosary itself then is a sacramental. And you do get some special actual grace from using a blessed rosary. But if you don't have one that's blessed or you don't have one at all and you use your fingers, uh, there's still the efficacy of praying the rosary, the prayers of the rosary, meditating on the mysteries of the rosary. But it's a little extra... Uh, spiritual assistance if you actually then have uh, a rosary that's blessed because the rosary itself is a sacramental and it remits venial sin. So where you have a scapular that's blessed, if you have a rosary that's blessed, uh, you know, that's going to be, or you have holy water, uh, those are all wonderful sacramentals and they convey actual grace. But the praying of the rosary, even if you don't have these um, these help, helps to you, there's still power in that too. So I don't want people to think they can only pray the rosary 
on a blessed rosary, but uh, you know that's the optimum. 833-288-EWTN. Be sure to join us for Fathers Know Best Monday through Friday morning at 4 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Drawing from the rich EWTN library, we bring you great retreat teachings, lectures, and exclusive EWTN programs hosted by priests you know and trust. You'll hear Father Larry Richards, Father John Ricardo, Father Benedict Rochelle, and much more. That's Fathers Know Best Monday through Friday, 4 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Maria in Monroe County, Missouri, listening on iHeartRadio. Maria, you're on with Father Tregilio. Hi, Maria. Are you there? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. What's your question today? Uh, sorry, I, didn't, I don't know what happened. Um, I, my question was, my husband and I are both great on Christmas Eve, and during the term of our marriage, we kind of went through a Christian church for a while and now are being drawn back into Catholicism fully. Um, he is a participant in the Masonics and Shriners, which I had never felt good about, but now seems to be reiterated to me that it is definitely not a good thing. Um, so I wanted to clarify that, and then my second question was, how, as a wife for him, can I be supportive somehow, even though I'm not supporting that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. Um, it it is true that the the church does not allow Catholics to be members of the Masons, Freemasons, Masonic Lodge. Um, Zemzem Shriners, you know, all the different branches of Masonry uh, because in you know, from their very beginning and till today too, uh, you go to a funeral parlor and when a Mason dies, uh, not only do they you know, wear the fezes and, and that but they have rituals that we as Catholics don't even, I mean, we don't have as much ritual at a funeral parlor as when a Shriner dies. They wear their, their special outfits. They, they, it's a religion insofar as, you know, they praying to God as the supreme architect. But it's not of the Judeo-Christian uh, religion. It's not divinely revealed. It's a human invention. And yes, there were, and to this day, there are very definite anti-Catholic feelings and um, thoughts uh, in Masonry. But I know there are Catholics who inadvertently, uh, innocently, were told by some priests, even bishops, Go ahead, you know, they're, they're, the Masons in the United States aren't the same as the Masons in Europe. Well, that's true. The Masons in Europe are much more aggressive in their anti-Catholicism, but it's still forbidden for a Catholic. And you could find that out. You go online. There's a statement from the Congregation of Doctrine of the Faith that makes it clear that Catholics who belong to the Masons are not to receive Holy Communion. Uh, even if a priest or bishop told them they could, uh, it's not automatic excommunication as it was once with the 1917 code, but still in the 1983 code uh, and the application of it, a Catholic would not be able to receive communion if they're a, a member of the Masons. So I would get that document, you know, present it to your husband, um, you know, tell him you're not happy about it, but uh, you don't want to be a bone of contention where you're going to now be at each other's throats. Pray for him. Encourage him to join the Knights of Columbus. I know sometimes guys join the, the Masons because of the business aspect. If you're wearing the ring and the handshake, 
you know, you can move ahead in the business world. Well, uh, if you want fraternity, join one that's, you know, supportive of the church, like the uh, uh, Knights of Columbus, or you can join the Sons of Italy or something like that. But uh, there's the, the problem with the Masons is even when it's hidden, there's stuff about it that is not good. And it's just too long for me to explain all of it here on the air. So I would say I think we have a very good document in the electronic library section of EWTN that explains all that. And quickly, we'll head to Judy in St. Peter's, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio. Judy, just a couple minutes left with Father John. What's your question today? Uh, our grandson is 30 years old, and he and his wife are both Catholic. They are getting married next May. Uh, they do not think they need a Catholic priest to preside at their marriage. And I'm very concerned about this, and if I should, what can I say to them? I would say to them, it's invalid then. If, if they're both Catholic or just one's Catholic, they must be married by a priest or a deacon, or they get dispensation from the bishop if one of if they're marrying a non-Catholic. But if both are Catholic, for it to be a sacrament, it's what we call canonical form. They need a priest or a deacon or a bishop, two witnesses, and they must you know exchange consent. Um, like I said, if a Catholic marries a non-Catholic, the bishop can dispense from that and allow a non-Catholic minister uh, to witness the marriage. But if it's two Catholics. You know, they must be married before a priest or deacon. Otherwise, it's invalid, and then they can't receive the sacraments. Now, if they go ahead and do it anyway, which unfortunately sometimes happens, then the next step is to pray and encourage them to um, have their marriage what we call convalidated. It's sometimes called blessed, but it's not really a good, accurate term. But to have their marriage convalidated in the church uh, after the fact. So it's not uh, the end of the story, so to speak, but the best way would be start it off right. What about Judy going to the wedding? I wouldn't. I would say not go unless you're afraid that they're never going to speak to you again. Then go under duress, like I mentioned with the other case. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for starting off another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Back at it tomorrow with Father Wade Menezes talking faith, family, and fellowship. Until we get together then, God bless.